The following message is from the 2013 IBCD Summer Institute, Churches Equipped to Care. I want to thank you for coming, and I'm going to pray in just a moment. But just the fact that you're here tells me that you're ministering to somebody who has this label, or maybe you think ought to have this label, or somebody thinks ought to have this label, but you're here to um, to sort of tease apart these issues along with us. We're all learning together. Um, I certainly don't have all the answers. Although I do want to say, of our five children, we have two that would get this diagnosis um, without a question. And my husband and I tease that he would too. So, <laughs> um, so um, let's go to the Lord. Father, we need your mercy and your grace. We need your uh, wonderful law and its requirements. And uh, we are so thankful that Jesus met them all for every single person who puts their trust in him alone. So whether we are struggling with um, some of these symptoms or whether trying to help somebody else who does and can feel very frustrated, you are with us, your word's sufficient, and so we trust you for this hour. In Jesus' amazing, awesome, glorious name, Amen. Um, preliminarily, these are inner man issues and outer man issues. You heard us talk about inner man, outer man. Scripture talks about inner man, outer man. But in a lot of circles, you don't hear that distinction. We really do need to hear that distinction. Somebody comes, just tell them. Come on in. Second um, Corinthians 4.16 is one of those places that talk about inner man and outer man. And you can see by the points in your outline, the, the first thing you need to do to minister, I'm not sure what page I'm on, but I'm near the end, because the Peonies, 111, thank you. Um, these are inner man issues and outer man issues. And, and this, is, this is places where you're going to see this in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 4.16. And I know you've been comforted by this passage. While the outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed day by day. Great comfort. See, but, but here there's not a cause and effect relationship in that passage. You can have the outer man be a wreck and have the inner man, for a true believer, being renewed. While my mother-in-law was dying of Alzheimer's, you know, she was just a shell. Right, we couldn't. We kept saying, "Where is the inner man? Where, where's the Holy Spirit?" We just see a shell, but we knew by faith that because of this, that it's there, only visible usually through music. But um, uh, you see, the Bible talks about the inner man and the outer man. See, the Bible's so balanced on this. We are not balanced. The Bible's balanced. Okay, we want black and white answers, don't we? Oh, it would be so nice to just have a nice, clear, clear answer. Is this a behavioral issue or a sin issue? This kid's just sinful. No, there's something physical going on, isn't there? Ah, back and forth. Don't you go back and forth. Well, that, that's clearly sin, but, whoa, that looks some, like something definitely organic. You know, when they get a good night's sleep, they don't act that bad. <laughs> when I give them structure, they're not so, whoa, you know. Like one mom said to me, when I keep her on MSG, off of MSG, it's amazing the difference. I mean, all kinds of differences we see, don't we? Okay. So we can hardly wrap our minds around the idea that these two parts interact, inner man and outer man. You see, don't you just see that sin can contribute to physical illness? What did David say? He was so guilty, he said, my bones ache. And that was guilt from sin, his bones ache. But you can see physical dysfunction can impact a person spiritually. I'll give you an example of that. The last time you were really, really sick or very exhausted, try to remember that day. How well did you battle your besetting sins? Okay, that just answered that, <laughs> right? When we're not doing well physically, 
We are not battling as well. We're giving into temptation more easily. We simply sin in our tough areas more often. That's what they meant by besetting sins. So, the physical, our physical condition, our organic self, does impact, notice I didn't say cause, I said impact a person spiritually. Now you know that biblical counseling methodology teaches that the heart of the matter, haven't you heard this a zillion times, is the matter of the heart. Very clear biblical teaching. Jesus said it's not what goes into the, the mouth, it's what's inside. That's the core. But the outer person has an influence on the spirit. A key, key verse is 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Are you familiar with that one? It says, <laughs> having these promises, and all the promises come in, in 6. I am your father. You are my children. Just Im- immensely comforting promises. And that says, having these promises, purify yourself from everything that defiles or contaminates, depending what version. What? Help me. Body and spirit. I'll never forget the first time I ran into that verse. And I've been studying it ever since. Um, Body and spirit. You know, now some say, oh, that context is sexual. Those Corinthians were so involved in sexual sins. That's just um, sexual issues. My question is, is it? Or can other sins also defile you see what contaminates body and spirit there is an enormous blending and melding the spiritual impacts the physical the physical impacts the spiritual yes the heart is the heart of the matter but there's a relationship there second corinthians 7 1 which we i don't think we've ever really struggled with and fought with and that's such an important passage and there's others too I mean Philippians 4 that talks about I don't know if any of you were in my husband's talk earlier today about you were on how it's outer man issues and inner man issues and they're both at work in so many passages in scripture so do you want to minister to somebody who struggles in this way then really begin to pray about and think about inner man issues, outer man issues. Put them together. Put them together. Never changing the fact what the core is. But do not negate the influence, I didn't say cause, influence of your biological, organic body, the outer man. Number two, I know we all agree on this, But if you're going to minister to someone in this condition or be ministered to, go back to Scripture as the primary standard. Isaiah 28, 17 shows that justice and righteousness are the measuring line, not the DSM-4, not the (laughs) DSM-5, not the DSM-anything. I mean, I know our circles joke and call it the denying sin manual. I'm not sure I would... Um, yeah, I mean, to be fair, that's not all it is. Um, they actually are pretty good at observing, by the way. May I say that? But because they have the wrong presuppositions, they end up with the wrong conclusions. But what they do have is more observations sometimes than we have, by far. So let's not, you know, say we can't learn anything. It's how you're interpreting what they have. So my point is, Scripture is a primary standard. We are so familiar, and we love 2 Timothy 3.16. teaches that Scripture thoroughly equips us for every good work. But what does that mean? <laughs> Feeling good? Well, we know that's not the case. <sighs> that's the good of becoming more like the Savior. Okay? So Scriptures are our primary standard. So when you have a kid who you feel like is totally out of control, or maybe it's your spouse, or maybe it's you, or whatever it is, we're going to go first and foremost to the Word of God. God knows this. 
He knows what you're suffering. He knows what you're going through. He knows why your brain can't ever calm down and focus on a single thought. Unless, of course, you're playing a video game, then somehow you can do it for an hour on end. But that's another matter. <laughs> okay. Um, scripture's your primary standard. That's a comfort. That is a comfort. Does it mean we're not going to learn anything from any place else, but we know it's God's instruction manual, love letter, thoroughly equipping us. Number three, the curse of Genesis 3 impacts everything. The fall of Adam brought a deserved curse on all creation, and nothing has worked right since. I guess we can have an amen to that one. And the older you get, the more you realize that the curse had a huge impact on us. Okay? That the ground was cursed as well as the roles and relationships. So that means that all of our problems are spiritual and physical. It all got cursed. Did it deserve to be cursed? Yes, of course. God is holy and righteous, but it all got cursed. <laughs> so um, inner man and outer man were cursed. Now Jesus came to save his people from both. He's the great physician. He's the great savior. He is both. He is both came to rescue his people. But he usually doesn't rescue from all of it at one moment. Isn't that too bad? Don't you wish when you were born again that every bad habit disappeared in a flash? But he doesn't usually do that. He might take away one vice, two, three, some of your bad habits. But he, does he deliver you from all your life-dominating habits the moment he saves you? I've never actually met anybody who's even told me that that was the case. Although there are certain Wesleyans who believe in the higher plateau where you're sinless, but I don't think there are too many of them here. Um, <laughs> sanctification is both a completed event and a process. And I don't have this written down, but you might want to put this in the sidelight. Hebrews 4.15 says, By one sacrifice... He made perfect forever, are you familiar with this verse? Those who are being made holy. He made perfect forever. It sounds like a done deal, doesn't it? It's already done. It's finished. Sanctification, that's positional sanctification. I'm perfect. Those who he is making holy. That's not yet. That's progressive sanctification. For those who you like theological terms, right there it is. See, so that curse impacts everything, but God answers everything. But he does it his time, his way. And there's an already part of it, and there's a not yet part of it. So, in this life, well, I, I want to miss this point. Our bodies are under the curse, and there are, our bodies aren't going to work right, not totally right, until the new heavens and the new earth. But in this life, God does bring healing. But he doesn't usually bring it instantly. Not just not, not sanctify you instantly. Your healing is an instant. Now, are there times where people seem to be healed instantly? Praise God. But usually, he works in secondary means. He works in process. Through obedience and faith and prayer. And sometimes nutrition and medicine and lots of other things. But it's a process. So, what does this mean for our out-of-control little hyper-kids <laughs> or hyper-husbands? or You know, there are adults who get this diagnosis. You realize that. Um, some of you might have that. Nobody's moving around enough to make me think any of you have had this diagnosis. But you can have adult ADHD, right? Um, I mean, it started with the kids, but now they figured it works for the adults, too. Because uh, we're going to look at the symptoms in just a moment. <laughs> the question was, are most of them in car sales? Hey, they might be. That's a good field for them. Um, so these out-of-control children that we have are not doomed to be like this forever. You're going to struggle with it for the rest of your life. There are things about me I will struggle with until I die and go home be with Jesus. But we do grow. There is positional sanctification. It's a promise, and he promised never to give up on us, and he's not going to give up on them. He will change them as he changes us. 
their caregivers or their parents. He's going to work on both of us. All right. Let's move from the curse <laughs> to something a little bit more practical, addressing the spiritual and the physical issues, but I'm going to ask you to think about addressing them consecutively. I remember the first time we took our daughter. Our daughter has many diagnoses, one of our daughters. And we took her to Jay Adams many years ago. <laughs> um, what can we do? Um, and I just remember him. He gave very comforting advice. But he, nobody had ever seen anything like this. Um, had this diagnosis and about three more. Um, one from every category, if you know the DSM. <laughs> um, and he said, take her to a doctor and get, you know, get answers. And when you've done that, and he, he says that in his first book, Competent to Counsel, once you've found out that it's not a physical thing, then just solely address the spiritual. And that was comforting and helpful. But here is the hardest thing when you're working with someone like this. You can't finish with one before you start with the other. You really, you need to do them simultaneously. You've got to address the spiritual issues, the heart issues, consecutively with the organic issues. Because you don't know. You know the heart of the issue, but you don't know how bad something is physically. You don't know what's, what's contributing. You see what I'm saying? It's both. Now, the spiritual issues are the core, addressing, bringing the gospel to bear and God's amazing, glorious, righteous guidelines and rules. You bring all those spiritual issues to bear. But at the same time, you've got to be asking other questions. See, I have written down here some of the things that they're common sense, spiritual issues. God's recipe for change, salvation and sanctification. He's a new creation. And that wonderful Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, put off, put on. By the way, that's not behaviorism. Jay Adams is not guilty of work sanctification. That's a tool that God gives us for progressive sanctification. That's the, that's the spiritual issues, working with your hyper child on, uh, in that area. And of course, we have those wonderful passages. Colossians 3.20, children, obey your parents. Hebrews 13.17, obey them that have rule over you. So, the gospel, obedience issues, those are all issues that should be at the core. But we can't just do them. We have to also see medical professionals. And I have listed here a long list that could depress you just reading it. <laughs> see medical professionals to check on your child's vision. That can contribute significantly. Um, hearing, allergies, an enormous contribution to hyperactivity, loss of focus, loss of concentration. Um, possible medication side effects, reading and processing issues, diet deficiencies, and sleep problems. And I know, I said, where am I going to get the time for this one? Where am I getting the money for this? This is enormous. I have, you know, Maybe you have a big family, or maybe somebody you're trying to help has um, also multiple children. How do you focus so much on one and still care for the other and keep your priorities straight while you're taking them to doctors, checking their all these things, and addressing the heart? All I can say is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and Christ is going to be with you. And that's my very last point. I'm going to hammer that. But... God will be with you in it. But please, please don't ignore checking this out. And the first doctor you go to will not help you with all these things. This is an age of specialists, isn't it? You'll be sent from this one to this one to this one. And when all that doesn't work, then the alternatives, and you'll be doing this, this, and the other thing. So that, that can be overdone. There are people who are consumed with that, and I'm not recommending that. But please check that out in a prayerful, careful trusting way, asking God to guide every step, every professional you call, every person who says, hey, this worked for my kid, <laughs> okay? You're going to hear, if you Google alternative you know, treatments for ADHD, 
be prepared. <laughs> you'll get helpful stuff, but you'll get lots of scams. You'll spend a whole lot of time and a whole lot of money. And God has to guide you through this. The, I ask, I don't think yes. a medical professional, professional you would consult, but I'm thinking two other factors to consider would be learning styles, and then if the child is really intelligent or really creative, they may get easily bored, and those, I think, are two more things. They, um, In other words, yeah, you, um, uh, just so that uh, the tape can hear. Um, Glenda is saying learning styles. So not just reading processing issues, she's putting learning styles um, in there too. And thank you for adding that. I would see that as a subset, but I like, I like that additionally. Yes, because you're educators. One of the points I'm going to make later is how to stay in close communication with your child's teacher. Very, very important to work with learning styles. And if you're homeschooling, um, whether Christian school, public school, or homeschool, you really have to stay in close communication with their um, teacher for learning styles. All right, let's just look now at the 14 characteristics of ADHD. Now, this is not ADD, but most of them, by the way, ADD and ADHD overlap a lot. But the hyperactivity, that's what the H is for. That's in addition. Um, but there's a lot of overlap. So I just, I'm giving you 14 characteristics of ADHD. And it's from the DSM-4. Five is a little different, um, but it's not worth looking at. Remember, this is not hard science. Can I say this again? This is soft science. These are behaviors. These aren't a true test. This is a subjective test. And there are plenty of people when you read these lists say, uh, that would be me. Um, or to some degree. See, this is all a matter of degree. It's extremely subjective. Often fidgets and squirms in the seat. Hmm. Has difficulty remaining in the seat, is easily distracted by extraneous stimuli. That would be me in the last talk. Um, has difficulty waiting his turn, often blurts out answers to questions before they've been completed. Wow. Has difficulty following instructions from others, has difficulty sustaining attention in tasks or play activities, shifts from one activity to another. Has trouble playing quietly, often talks excessively often interrupts or intrudes on others, often doesn't seem to listen to what's being said to him, often loses necessary things for tasks and act activities, often engages in physically dangerous activities without considering the consequences. Can we agree this is subjective? <laughs> okay. And you have to have a certain number of these for a certain length of time before a professional will say, you have it. In fact, when you go to the doctor, he'll give you one to fill out and one for your child. So they want to know from the perspective of the caregiver and the patient what their perception is. And both are taken into consideration before you get the diagnosis. This is not hard science. I am not saying that it's not real, because if you're struggling with somebody like this, it feels real, real to you. <laughs> um, uh, so... Because I'm saying it's not hard science, I'm not diminishing your suffering, okay, by any means. Um, but I just want you to know this is the category. And um, teachers, parents, caregivers, uh, you can feel really frustrated. A few minutes ago I talked to my daughter who is an actually a, a playwright and an actress in L.A., and she's teaching at-risk kids how to write plays of their own stories and then producing them. She said, I have a couple of those kids in my class. She said, it is nutty in there. It, it, it just disrupts everybody. I said, yeah, I know. Tell me about it. I taught for many years also. Not only did I have them in my own house, I had them in my classroom. And next week I'll be at English camp in the Czech Republic, and I know I'm going to have a whole lot in my class then. But here's what I want to think of next. Before you say... I don't care where this is, what this is. I'm going to go insane. So, okay, let's give them medicine. Okay. Um, I know there's side effects, and I know they could s sell Ritalin at high school, which happens a lot, by the way. They sell these psychostimulants stimulants in school. So they don't take it themselves. It's a huge problem in public schools, um, or especially uh, adolescents. You know, bring their Ritalin to school and know they can make a lot of money by selling it to kids. Um, who are getting high on it. 
because it, remember it works. The theory of the psychostimulants for this is that their brains are different, so Ritalin or Concerta, one of these acts differently on their brain. So what would normally be a stimulant brings them down. Uh, it may or may not be true. It's not hard. It's not proven, but that could be the case. But what they'll do is bring it and sell it to their, their buddies, somebody else. So they can, you know, take whatever. And the nurse is supposed to dispense it, but let's not pretend that happens all the time. So I, what I'm telling you is investigate alternative treatments that have fewer risk factors than psychostimulants. I'm not saying it's sinful to take psychostimulants, but I'm saying because of all the side effects and the risks, they really should be the last resort. I think they should be. There are plenty of alternative treatments. Um, but I'm just going to give you some common sense things that wouldn't even necessarily be called a treatment. Okay? A system of rewards and consequences based on the individual child needs at home and at school. Children need predictability. They don't need surprises. Oh, the rules changed. Oops. Depending what mood dad's in or what particular frame of mind mom's in, so they're always figuring out the rules. They need a system of rewards and consequences based on their needs. And when the kid says to you, it's not fair, you tell them, of course, it shouldn't be fair because you're different than this one. Everyone's different. There's, their consciences are different. They're, 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 they're just, you have one child who you look at them and they just melt. And then you have another one that you could flog them and nothing happens, okay? God made us all different. So a system of rewards and con biblical ones based on the child's needs. Use scriptures that build up as well as rebuke. When you're really frustrated, aren't we more likely to rebuke, aren't we, than to build up? Ask God for wisdom to know whether that child needs more edification than rebuke. And a kid who's always being hollered at because you're disturbing everybody else and sit down and shut up and would you cooperate and nobody can hear because of you, they, they really do need to be encouraged and build up too. Um, so use scriptures in a balanced way to build up, edify, as well as rebuke. And make the negative consequences be understood well in advance. Do not think up a punishment at the moment of the infraction. How fair are those? They're out of the emotion of the moment. The child needs predictability. Because when you do this, this happens. That takes planning and prayer and a lot of humility, a lot of mistakes, and then to do it again. But do not think up punishments at the moment of the infraction. You say, I'm not sure what we're going to do, but Daddy and I are going to, or whatever, we're going to pray about this, and we're going to talk to the teacher, and we're going to decide what's the best way to help you. There's a place for punishment. So when people say there's no punishment, I'm saying, well, God uses lots of the P word, <laughs> but he uses it in a gracious way, and it's always to drive us to him. So you have to be very, very balanced knowing your child or the person that you're working with. I don't think there's a nice cut and dried way. There's, there needs to be great flexibility, biblical flexibility when you're working with this. Praise and reward godly behavior, but handle disruptive behaviors firmly and consistently. These got to be balanced. These absolutely have to be. And it's really hard when you're working with a group because when you, you know, let this child get out of their seat a whole lot more times, you know, and these kids, they're not, you know, they're, they're not rocking back and forth like the, the hyper kid is who's made their chair into a rocking chair and you think they're going to, you know, and so you're, you're going to look unfair. Don't worry about it. That's not important. The important thing is honoring God and helping that, that child. Then communicate regularly with the child's teacher. If you're the parent, stay very close to that child's teacher. That child's teacher probably is almost as frustrated as you, maybe more. But they don't love the child like you do. Okay? <laughs> I don't care how old that child is, whether you were talking about a 3-year-old or a 13-year-old or a 25-year-old. I mean, you're going to care about them 
as their primary caregiver, a parent or a guardian, whatever, more than that teacher does. But communicate with them regularly. Not in a smothering way, not in a pushy way, but in a regular way. They need to know there's going to be a, a lot of follow-up. And kids who are easily distracted need writing assignments. Some one, one six-year-old I worked with, um, the uh, assignments had to be written every day. The teacher, he'd write them. The teacher signed them, brought them home. Parent asked to see them right away, also signed them, made sure it was done, and went back. There was just constant communication um, for assignments and also rewards and punishment. Lots and lots of communication. Now you think, well, how do you have time for that for everybody? God gives you grace, and he says he will give you grace. It's just, and he says he promises you're going to handle this. Now, I know it's shocking how much he thinks you can handle, but, right? But you can handle it because his grace is sufficient. And he says, when I am weak, then I am strong. When you think you're going to lose it, you're at your worst. He's right there to hold you up. And you get through it and you look back and went, well, I, I survived that. I'm still sane. I still love Jesus. I'm still walking with the Lord. How did that happen? That was his grace that just held you and carried you through an entire room full of ADHD kids. Okay, You don't have a whole room full of them, but that's just an expression. One more really uh, important tip is limit distractions in the environment such as excess clutter. A person, especially with ADHD, not just ADD, but ADHD, is easily distracted. So if you've got lots of clutter around, I'm not saying you're a hoarder, okay, just lots of clutter, try to keep distractions to a minimum because they are just like this all the time. Their minds are easily distracted. And in today with social media, I mean, you get a 13-year-old who's Twittering and on Facebook and he's playing media games and, I mean, his mind anyway is, is scattered. If you can just keep some of those distractions away, I'm not saying they're sinful, I'm not saying they're wrong, I'm just saying try to keep their environment a little less cluttered. I mean, I certainly would be diagnosed ADHD if I didn't work really hard at setting biblical parameters so I don't try too much, so I learn how to say no to things, so that I don't let my mind go here, there. It's part of our age, too. Our, our, our minds got scattered and, and could fall into these categories. These are subjective diagnoses. This is not true, hard science. Back to another way to help. Play with the child for reasonable periods of time. Bring them back to the activity at hand, no matter how much the child wants to move on. Okay? Um, I don't know how old the children are you have in your mind, but they need structure and someone to help them. You don't say, go clean your room. No, that's foolishness. That's foolishness for many age groups. Unless you have somebody who's absolutely obsessive in organization, and there are those, but they're rare, um, you work with them and you give them something reasonable and small, age-appropriate tasks. You help them, you teach them, and you follow through with them. Is this time-consuming? You better believe it. But no matter how much they want to move on, I'm finished. I mean, last night I was helping my grandchildren clean up in the playroom. <laughs> the mess they made. And they wanted to do this much and then be done. Okay, I did my part. I put one block there, okay? No. You just gently, firmly, no, we're not finished yet. But you're with them, but you don't let their minds go. Remember, their minds are undisciplined. Now, all of our minds are undisciplined, but theirs is especially, because their minds are. I mean, there could be something physical going on, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. But their, their little bodies are racing, their minds are racing. You, you've had some of them. They look like Lamborghinis. You know, on steroids, it's just whoom, whoom, whoom. I mean, bouncing off the wall. Um, what do you do with them? Make sure that child gets a healthy, varied diet. I can't say enough about nutrition. I wish I could say more. <laughs> but 
um, yes, there are people who pay too much attention to it. And there are people trying to make money off of it. Absolutely. But there's something to be said about eating healthy. You need to eat very low and high fructose corn syrup. There's quite a bit of evidence now of what that contributes. I didn't mention MSG, but there's one. Sodium benzoates, others. Some of the sulfites and the nitrites. There's evident heart. You do your homework. Find out what that contributes to distractibility, lack of focus and concentration. Um, just sheer, remember, anxiety, we think of as, oh, you know, be anxious for nothing. That's just worry. Anxiety just means, well, have you ever drank too much coffee? Really too much caffeine? Oh, you're anxious. Your heart's beating here. You can't even hold your hand still. <laughs> see, what we take in does impact us. So you want to be making sure they get balanced and their necessary nutrients, high in fiber. Not to an extreme way, but I'm talking a balanced way. I, I know that you've met some health nuts. You never want to get into that category. But a lot of times we are so tired of fighting the fight, we let our kids just pick up anything. And if you ever read the labels and really, really found out what's in them, remember all all these companies are doing is making things cheap and easy, you know, and they make it, write the word natural on the outside, but who, what does that mean? So you're going to have to um, make sure that child gets a, a healthy, varied diet and, um, and not sugared up. And also the bad, uh, high fructose corn syrup is useless. There's just, I'm not saying it's sinful or it's going to kill you, but there's a lot of negatives to high fructose corn syrup. All right, let's quickly move on. Make sure the child gets adequate sleep. Oh, my word. We overschedule. We think that the child has to be in soccer and ballet and this, and they have to do this. And then we think, oh, one more thing. I'll oh, we'll send them to Awanas. And, oh, we got to have, oh, oh you know, do you hear what I'm saying? And then the child doesn't get adequate sleep. And, and, and there's not much structure or predictability in their lives. And, um, and then we wonder why they can't stay on task. See, this is nature and nurture. These are both. We don't have to drive a big wedge between the inner man and the outer man or nature and nurture. These work <coughs> together. So do not overschedule. I felt so sorry for some kids who their parents, you know, like to be the last ones at church. You know, they, I guess they say they have to lock the door or something. I don't know. And these children are just exhausted and they're acting out and miserable. And the parents are yelling and screaming at them. And I just want to take that parent come alongside and said, we'll let somebody else close it. You go home and put that child to bed. You know, is that child sinning by throwing a total temper tantrum? Yeah. Is that a spiritual issue? Yeah. Is there a physical contribution? You'd better believe it. So make sure that they get... Um, enough structure, enough sleep, and make reasonable schedules. Don't, don't think they have to be in everything. It's okay to say no. You can't do this. Next semester you can do another, um, you know, another show. I had a bunch of actresses on my hand, so we were always limiting the amount of shows they did. But lastly, I'm going to leave time for questions, which will probably be the most helpful part of this, is... God's grace is more powerful than any problem you face. Now, I know if I asked you this, you'd all get this answer right. But do you believe it? Does God love your ADD, ADHD child or spouse? No, let me finish. More than you do. Well, okay, yeah, 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 he does. But do we really believe that? when we are becoming nervous and fretful and thinking, oh my word, what's going to happen to this person? Are they ever going to succeed in school? Are they ever going to get a decent job? Right? Are their lives ruined? I just had a mother come to me very recently. Uh, I just given this talk and her son just got the diagnosis at age three. Um, just got the diagnosis and she was frantic. She was a true believer. She was, but she was frantic. Um, her first child, she also had a younger one, but her imagination was, she was just going on and on, 
that all the terrible things that were going to happen to this child because they had ADHD. And uh, I just had to go back and say, no, God's grace is more powerful than any problem you face. And God loves your child more than you do. And God's in control. And he's not going to let anything happen in your life that isn't for his glory and your good. Do you believe it? And we all get those nice, wonderful nods. Yes. Well, do you believe it? Does it impact the way you think about it? Does it impact you so well? How, how about your sleep? Do you stay up at night worrying? Well, what if, what if this? Well, what if that? Mm-hmm. And then, then if you, I mean, I worked with somebody so anxious that every time they heard a siren, they thought their parents had been killed and were planning their parents' funeral within minutes of every siren they heard. See, so we can, yes, God made amazing changes with biblical counseling in that person. But we have to, when you're struggling with somebody like this and you think, I can't handle this. I can't handle this. driving me nuts. You go back to God's word. His power and his grace is more powerful than any problem you face. One of the most precious promises in all scripture I have written right here in my outline, Hebrews 10, 35. Um, when our daughter was um, diagnosed with schizoaffective with bipolar type, ADHD, neuropsych Lyme disease, and who knows what else, um, um, we had lost her 13 times. 13 times she wandered away from home like an Alzheimer's patient and couldn't find her way back as a teenager. Once she was gone six days, a predator found her. It was a nightmare. This verse was the most precious one. Um, well, two of them. This was, this was the, a big one. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Now, 17 years later, we still struggle. Uh, many, many problems. But I know God's working together something good. I mean, it's only appropriate that in a biblical counselor's family, you should have somebody who gets a whole bunch of these things, right? I mean, it's called a living lab, right? (laughs) Practice what you preach right in your home. Um, But also that um, Psalm 46 that says, God will help her when the morning comes. There is a river that makes glad the city of God. God will help her when the morning comes. I know the her is Jerusalem. I understand that. But... That, that's been set to music. And just when you are struggling with someone who you think is absolutely out of control, off the wall, and you can't make it, you better go back to God's promises. And by the way, if they're set to music, they'll stick longer. When I counsel, and I've been counseling 13 years now, and before that I ran a crisis pregnancy center for 10 years, so I've been in this a long time, I assign what I call CCC music. So if you want to minister to, to somebody, whether they are suffering with this themselves or it's a family member, I say, pick three songs that are CCC. You know what that stands for? Christ-centered, cross-centered, and calming. Get calming music. And I say, pick a couple songs, and I want you to have them accessible all the time. So when you become hyper, anxious, can't sit, can't sleep, can't think, you bring that music in. And if you can play it, if not, sing it. But you can be so hyper or so anxious or so squirmy, whatever word you want to use, keyed up. We used to use the word keyed up, you know, a generation ago. Um, you can use those thoughts of who Christ is and how much he loves you and how much he's in control, something, but it needs to be set to music. My theory is, by the way, um, have you ever had an Alzheimer's patient who the only way you could reach them is through music? Has that ever happened? What I found out is the part of the brain that processes music is the last to deteriorate, and which is why you reach them through music. So when you have a hyper person or you think you're going to lose your mind, <laughs> use music, the most Christ-centered, calming, comforting pieces, maybe ones that have already meant so much to you in your life and bring them back and play them. And you will minister to yourself, you'll minister to the sufferer, 
or if you're counseling somebody, um, you are going to help them. I use it with depressed people. I use that assignment with anxious people. I use it with suicidal people, ADHD. I mean, I use music. And I didn't get it because secularists use music therapy. I learned it from King David <laughs> and his harp. And all, I mean, it's just, and practically, in my own life, my mother has dementia. I just, in so many ways, I learned the power of music. So can you minister to people in that situation? You absolutely can. You don't, you don't have to completely lose hope. You will lose hope sometime. Oh, yeah. Oh, you'll lose hope. But God will restore your peace. He'll restore your hope if you stay focused on who he is, his promises, and that he would never allow anything to come into your life, not one thing, if it wasn't for his glory and you're good at becoming more like the Savior. So if you've got a whole room full of hyper kids or, you know, they're all on something, <laughs> God is with you in this. He's going to see you through. He's not going to abandon you, not for a millisecond. He knows exactly what you're going through. He loves those kids more than you do. And out of our five, we have more than one. That's a certifiable train wreck in some ways. But the story isn't over. God's teaching us something amazing. It's going to be a breathtaking testimony sometime down the line. They'll, they'll be here at IBCD or they'll be giving their own testimonies about how God took them from neuropsych Lyme and schizoaffective and, 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 and whatever. I've got several with diagnoses. <laughs> but it's going to be beautiful. It's going to bring glory to God and it's going to make me a stronger person, more faithful, more loving, and that's what's going to happen to you. So whatever reason that you're in this room tonight, God's got amazing purposes for what you are going through, for your suffering. I don't care what it is. You can't tell me any story about challenge, suffering, ADHD, or any of these that isn't going to be glorious because God's got a hold of it. He's in it. Every detail. Not one smidgen of suffering. I do pray, Lord, please don't give me any more than I can possibly handle. And, and do whatever it, to change me, but with no more pain that's necessary. That's a good prayer. So when you, whatever you're suffering with, with, with these kids, I think you sh you, it's, appropriate, it, it's appropriate to pray, Lord, heal this, take it away. Please don't give me more than I can handle. But you also pray, Lord, um, do whatever it takes to change me. Do whatever it takes to change me. Not too much pain, please, Lord, not so much pain. But do whatever it takes to change me. And you can be assured, absolutely assured he will. Absolutely assured. we got ten minutes left for um, questions, and I will repeat them for the tape. Does anybody have any comments, any questions, any stories? Um, don't feel obligated. You don't have to do this. But anything you would want to add um, or disagree with? Maria. I have four boys. And I Maria has four boys. I homeschooled three. I'm going to get close so you don't have to repeat. And one of my boys, um, I knew something was wrong because I was the teacher. Okay. And the only way I could get him the help that he needed, because I was through a charter school, I homeschooled through a charter school, it is I had to have him diagnosed, and we did. And they recommended the medication. I did my research on the medication. And because I trust God, I know God doesn't make mistakes, so I chose not to use the medication. Was it difficult? Absolutely very difficult. But we were consistent. He did have consequences all the time. He's now 18, and because he's so active, he, we, we put him in sports. Wrestling is his thing. Mm. He loves putting his hands on people. Mm. And um, he's, he won for his weight division, and he's still doing well in that area. And the only way that he can wrestle was if I put him in public school, because he can't do that when you homeschool. So he, he's in his second year of high school. He has A's and B's that I did not expect because, of course, you feel like a failure. You don't know how to teach a kid with ADHD. 
But we did teach them the word of God day in and day out as God requires. Hallelujah. And his his punishments were not mom mad at you, dad's mad at you. God tells us we want you to have a good life. And if you don't learn by obeying, obeying the authority you have here at home, you're not going to do it when you step out of our house. So he, he always had consequences. And it seemed like he had it harder. The twins watched and learned, and they didn't want nothing to do with those punishments. <laughs> he did get us behind in the teaching, and I felt bad for the twins because he consumed so much, so much time. He distracted. He would lose everything. He would make noises. But I was consistent. It was very, very hard because we would start from 8, and I would have to go from 8 to 5. Oh. So I prepared dinners and everything way in advance so I could sit with him and be consistent. What really got him was isolation is the worst thing that can happen. They don't want to be isolated, but if they can't not follow rules and you put their hands on people and they're just throwing attitudes, you go spend time by yourself in the room. Not with TV, not with games. Those were all rewards. So today he's, uh, he's still <laughs> hyper, but he's learning self-control. Um, he's got one more year. And he's really wanting to take care of his grades, which he never did at home. And he said because he didn't, he didn't have a reason. He wants to play sports, and if he doesn't get good grades, then he can't make it. But he wants to go to college. So is it hard? It's very difficult. I didn't put him through the school because I know what the school does. I, I know I would have been an ADHD kid myself. And so I was pushed through the system. And I thought, these boys are going to have to take care of their household. And if you get pushed through the system, you're going to be behind forever. Mm -hmm. So you didn't watch the diet types thing. You just use biblical love and structure. Diet, too. Oh, you use that, too. I, yeah, there's a book called Fit for Life. Mm. And it really teaches you how your body breaks down certain foods, what's in the food, and the damage. That, so the you damage. tried that, too? For sure. Okay. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That, well, I just want you sure. to hear somebody who did the inner man issues and the outer man issues with four boys. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens yes. me. Hallelujah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, I just got close. We didn't have to repeat that. And in a, in a class this small, we can't. Any other comments, any stories, any questions, any disagreements? I am open. Yes, Wes? Uh, question. <coughs> Not a Wesley, by the way. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, I'm not against Wesson. It's okay. So. <coughs> um, <coughs> excuse me. Do kids grow out of this? I mean, um, I've heard so many times where people say, you know, if, if uh, back when I was in high school, I had been diagnosed with this, and they're fine now. Um, if they get uh, put on medication by high school, do they naturally come off? Or That's a good question, Wes, and I cannot give you statistics. It wouldn't be too hard to look that up. Um, but I do know anecdotally that many do outgrow it. Um, some do not. Some don't have it before and then get it. Just like allergies, you know, there are people who don't have allergies as children and then develop them later. Um, so there isn't, as far as I know, a, a real strict um, continuum of how it goes. Uh, my husband tells everyone he would have definitely gotten it. I mean. His parents went broke just replacing all the stuff that he ruined in the classroom. Um, just always oh, just so clumsy and, and hyper. And, and, of course, our son, oh, my word, N no one could just control that boy. He was just wild, absolutely wild. And, and well, actually, at 18, he discovered marijuana. And then he wasn't wild anymore. But um, that was really not the drug of choice. Um, but... Many do outgrow it, but many also develop some of it later. I noticed when I went through menopause, I became um, very hyper. I, I, I completely hypered out. And, yeah, really went up and down big time. Uh, I don't, there are a lot of people who could give you a whole lot more information on that. Just want to know that there's hope whatever you're facing. <laughs> whatever you're facing. Comments, questions? What is the There are there are many, and if you really want to see all of them, you look at a physician's desk reference, or it actually comes in the package. They by law they have to put it on the package, 
But in the uh, physician's desk reference and on the, on the paperwork, they have to list every side effect that any person had. So they'll, they'll have common ones and then possible ones. Um, and your body does, it, God made our bodies amazing that they can adjust to some of these things. So you'll get bad side effects at the beginning that maybe you get used to, or you don't have any side effects and you get them later. Um, but uh, uh, there are, uh, some of them are habit-forming. And remember, you can have something that's uh, physically habit-forming and then something that's psychologically habit-forming. Um, and when people look at me real strange about that, I said, well, have you ever gotten hooked on shopping? Have you ever hooked on games? How about, how about talk radio? Um, <laughs> you can get habituated on things. So you have some physical um, habituation, but you, you know, physiological. Your body needs it, but then you also can have just um, uh, psychological, where you you're habituated. You think you have to have that. Yes, I was looking up research and just trying to find what are the long-term effects of a child being on these medications, and I can't really find anything long-term Well, it does stunt the growth. One, the the yeah. most common one is it, it stunts their growth. They're, they're just not going to have the same, the same height. Now, I, then I don't think Concerta maybe is um, uh, as, uh, like Ritalin's the, the most common for, for that. But uh, they're always coming out with new ones that don't have it. But, you know, when you give up one thing, um, you know, to gain something else, you lose. Um, my daughter's um, psychiatrist said, I said, why do some of these work sometimes? And he was such an honest man. I'm not a Christian. He said, it's serendipity. No, he says it's really true. Because usually me these meds, they uh, research them for one thing, and they give it to this population and discover that, like, their moods stabilize. So they say, oh. This is a mood stabilizer. So we're going to now market this at sub-therapeutic levels as a mood stabilizer. When they actually researched and designed it, like as in a common one is anti-seizure medicines. That's why psychotic people often, and bipolar, are on, are on an anti-seizure medicine. It's serendipity. These are theories. We don't know. Any other questions about that? Well, and I've, I've looked at studies recently <coughs> Um, this last winter, of, of kids who aren't treated either with the, you know, the inner man stuff, the, what they, secular people would call behavioral therapy, yes. you know, who aren't treated with, with that, aren't treated at, at all, there, there is like you know, substance abuse and huge, huge reckless living, mm -hmm. you know, just impulsive behavior. Right. And so it's dependence yeah. on. Um, sort of a, a drug. And it was, I take the pill. I feel bad, so therefore I take the first thing I do before I pray, before I think, before anything else, I reach for my medicine. It's total confidence in something that... I mean, there are people who do that with chocolate, for goodness sake. <laughs> I mean, we can all make a... a Tim Keller calls it a, a disordered... Um, our... our um, Desires, our, our disordered desires. <laughs> Something just becomes too big. Too big. Now, I'm not putting chocolate in the same category as heroin, okay? Oh, or, but yes, they're disordered. They're not disciplined. We don't live, we've got to live by faith, not by sight. Comments or questions? Well, I just was thinking, I've had a lot of parents who had ADHD children tell me to calm them down. They didn't want to do medication, but they didn't calm me. Yes. Now, what did the coffee, did it help? Well, it, it, it does the same thing, I guess, as a stimulant. It would keep the rest of us awake, but it calmed them. Yeah, down. I recommended for a boy, um, for his mother, to, to keep a whole six-pack of Mountain Dew in the classroom. And the teacher was allowed to give that child Mountain Dew because of the high caffeine, you know. Um, and uh, uh, the teacher thought it was somewhat helpful. But the theory is that their brains work the opposite. So what would, you know, would be a stimulant for us was a calming for the child. You were going to ask uh, another question. What is uh, wheatgrass? Someone 
<laughs> but you know what? Um, yeah, you're going to have a whole lot of wonderful nutrients in wheatgrass. And you don't have to have the child drink straight wheatgrass. You mix it with apple juice. You mix it with something sweet and yummy. You don't, have, you don't give the child straight seaweed, straight wheatgrass. But I imagine that could be very, very helpful. And it's not expensive. Wheatgrass is not expensive. I don't think. I mean, yeah, I mean, not like psychostimulants. Of course, your insurance pays for the psychostimulants, and it doesn't pay for the healthy stuff. Yeah, eating healthy is way more expensive. Comments or questions? All right, you're dismissed. Thank you. Thank you. Copyright 2013, IBCD, All Rights Reserved. More free audios can be found on our website at www.ibcd.org.